Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, and we are back, baby. Uh, it's only been a couple days, but uh, we we have more previews, I guess. We're back in preview season already. The inescapable tides of preview season. They, they march for us all, Gerald, and someday we will all answer the siren's call of another match the gathering set. I used to think that if I could get, like, a new preview card a day, it'd be I'd be happy, you know, like just like a brand new magic card every day. Well, I think uh, we're well over, well over that average. And I guess oh, definitely, We've I guess I guess we were average. already, but yeah. you know, it's just like oh, you know, spread it out a little bit. And it's like that's not really what I meant. Um, but yeah, here we are, uh, back in preview season, and I this is like four sets. I was looking at this trying to figure it out. Uh. And I got I got some questions. So we we figured out one of the riddles, right? So there's March of the Machine, plur, or singular, singular, not, not plural. Singular. Not plural. I, I also want to pluralize it, but that would be incorrect. It is March of the Machine because there is a magic card that is that, but pluralized. Yes. Well, there's also Ritual of the Machine, uh, old Alliances card, very very hyped one when Alliances came out as well. All right, all right, Grandpa. Yeah. Uh, so we have March of the Machine. We also have Aftermath, which after uh, some light research we figured out is actually going to be standard legal. I assumed that was going to be another uh, commander-ish thing. So we have MOM, we have MAT, and then MUL and MOC. What are those? I yep. don't know what M-U-L is. M-O-C, M-O-C is feels commander. like commander, yeah. But M-U- Where do you see M-U-L? This, this attracts a Praetor's voice. Oh, Multiverse Legends. Oh, that is just like packins of existing cards. That's where the Ragavan comes from. Uh, oh. it is It is like the uh, mystical this, archive of the yeah, set. Yeah, okay. So this is the Atraxa that already existed. I just Correct. didn't know what that Atraxa did. Now you know. All right. Okay. So Ragavan, Ragavan. Yeah, Muel. Got it. Uh, do, so, do you feel pretty sorted now? Do you understand the layout of March of the Machine? I mean, no, because there's also some playing Jace cards at the bottom. Whatever, it's fine. Also, uh, just so you know, those aftermath cards going to be coming in five card booster packs, as magic cards are wont to do. Uh, also available <laughs> in six card collector booster packs. If that's more, you know, your that uh, your your preference, then you can go ahead and get those. I want to say that five is a more even number, but clearly that it's is not, not technically true. No, it's, it's, just, it's just not. That's false. Uh, so we have 11 March of the Machine cards. We have one Aftermath card. Aftermath is this small set that comes out like a month-ish later than March of the Machine. So this comes out May 12th, 2023. And I think March comes out late April. Okay. That, that's a very confusing sentence you just said. March comes out late April, but I, yes. I get what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, Machine, mom, mom releases. Mom. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, okay. 50 cards, by the way. 50 cards in this Aftermath set. So, conceptually, I kind of think this is cool if it wasn't I, for the fact that there is 40 billion other things going on at the same time. Check this out. I played this game called Shadowverse, uh-huh. uh, digital uh, CCG. I guess. Definitely not a TCG. But it was basically like Hearthstone, except with anime. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I played it. Good game. Solid game. 
And they had like the normal magic set release schedule, like set every three months, standard, uh, with a rotation. And it was basically the same as Magic's rotation. It's a game made by a bunch of magic players. And eventually, I think at like year two or year three, they started doing like this in-between set release thing where they would release like 30 new cards and they would just put them in the boosters of whatever their most recent set was. Uh-huh. And this conceptually is like the exact same thing. Like I've been here before. It's just like midway through the standard season, especially in a digital game where there are just a lot of games being logged, you know, uh, things tend to get a little bit stale. So they're just like, how do we drop in more cards? And this was their solution to do it. And now it seems like Magic is doing it too. I don't know if this is a thing that is going to, I don't know, persist going forward. Um, it is it is kind of weird, uh, especially when it's like you just have to buy them directly from booster packs. And I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of them opens. And presumably they are supposed to affect the format or whatever uh, compared to just like crafting the cards in your digital client. Uh-huh. Seems kind of weird. But uh, also if we're not focusing on standard, it doesn't really matter all that much, right? It's not like anyone is like, oh, I've played too many games well, of standard. The format I mean, is boring. What are you, like, what are we supposed to be focusing on? That's what's really unclear about this. And like I said, if the Magic schedule was as it used to be, like four Magic sets come out a year, I actually think this would be like one of the coolest refreshes of that that could ever possibly do. I would be over the moon and excited for it if this was 2010. In yes. the world of 2023, where there are new Magic sets every five minutes, this is just more noise I don't know what it's intended to do. I'm sure the cards will be fine because the cards are always fine. And I'm sure, uh, you know, we'll we'll probably talk about them, do shows around them, and the world will keep spinning. And I'll keep not understanding what the goals of products are, except for the one goal, which is the answer to every question when the answer is not clear. And that is... Capitalism. Money. Lots of money. Yep. Same, same. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I I don't understand the goals here. Uh, if it is just, you know, it's it's called aftermath, right? If if the goal is to just put the epilogue to the story in its own standalone thing, like that makes sense to me too. Uh-huh. And if if that's just all it is, then cool. And I don't know. We we talk and joke and get depressed or whatever about how there's all these magic uh, previews and it's never ending preview season and whatever. This is a preview season that has four sets. It is, dude, it's getting worse. It's getting out of control. Oh yeah, it will only get worse. I do not see it getting better ever. That's okay though. As you mentioned, they do a pretty fine job of making the cards. So uh, that's that's what we should focus on. That's what we should talk about. Okay, I would like to talk about cards, uh, which is good because it seems like anytime... I talk about this, I, I get roasted by the internet. The internet was not pleased with my take of you should be able to purchase a Pro Tour invite Gerald. Oh, not no? pleased about it. No, Weird. no. Yeah. Uh if I if I hadn't already successfully won this argument with a most bunch of people uh, in that article I wrote, I might be willing to go down that road again. But I just know that it's one of those things where if you actually stop and think about it, uh facts are on my side. So when that article is readily available again, I will I will share it, and then everyone can use that as their justification for why you should be able 
to purchase a Pro Tour invite. Yeah, I haven't gotten on that in case you're wondering. That'll happen at some point. Or it won't. And life yeah. will go on. Will it? Will it? Uh, so 11 cards from March of the Machine, one from Aftermath, and then 10 of the common gain life lands. So there there are more cards previewed, but we don't have to go over those. Uh, where do you want to start? At Big the deal. top. Just top left, Scryfall, yep. let's go. All right. Yep. Classic Scryfall order. Heliod, the Radiant Dawn. Two dub dub, four four, legendary enchantment creature god. When this enters the battlefield, return target enchantment card that isn't a god from your graveyard to your hand. Three P, where P is a blue uh Phyrexian mana. See, it's just it's weird to to do P in a card that's like goldish, you know what I it's mean? It's Phi. I thought we figured out it's Phi. No, Phi was for the hybrid. Oh, jeez. Okay. Right? Maybe. So this is a white card that has blue Phyrexian mana. So 3P, transform this, activate only as a sorcery. Backside, we're back to double-sided cards. Heliod the Warped Eclipse, 4-6, legendary enchantment creature, Phyrexian god. You may cast spells as though they had flash. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card your opponents have drawn this Jesus turn. Jesus Christ. This card already has has overloaded me. It didn't take long. It took one card. This card does so many different things. Its front side is a 4-4 creature with a comes into play ability. It's legendary. It's an enchantment creature. It's god, which is a meaningful like super type and applies to things. It is kind of multicolored, but also using Phyrexian mana. It has an ability that can only be activated as a sorcery, and then its power and toughness changes on the backside where it grants two completely separate abilities that are in no way related to the front side. I like how the front side, too, is like, you can only do this as a sorcery, and then the backside is like, all your stuff has flash. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little disjointed there, I guess. Um, I, I mean, the, the sorcery thing is definitely like a, a power level nerf sort of thing or whatever but it's so funny just how in direct opposition it is with the other thing but uh yeah so all your stuff gets flash and then you wait for your opponent to take their turn and like do some stuff play some cantrips or whatever then all your stuff is mega cheap i mean aggressively costed four mana four four that ideally gets you another card on etb is pretty pretty reasonable right and has upside scaling later for standard and maybe pioneer, almost certainly not modern, but like all, almost certainly just feels like a commander card to me. But this stuff has like broken through in standard before, so I would not be shocked. It's really hard for me to get past just like the design and setup of this card to actually think about it as like a game piece in play because I hate this so much and it, it feels so disjointed and silly to me but i think I, I think this is an effect that is like supposed to be more interesting in multiplayer games like you said it doesn't immediately stand out to me as something i want to do in like standard spaces i think the exception to that is scenarios where you're just like a super heavy enchantment deck and there's a lot of ways to cheat on enchantments right like they're a pretty flexible card type uh there's things like um well, enigmatic incarnation to like move up the chain and like get a yeah. return on it where you get the card back and then you have this other option uh you know if you are playing enigmatic incarnation like all your spells having flash could be a big deal and 
you'd like that stuff being a little cheaper to play from hand. So I could see maybe a copy working its way into those lists and things like Pioneer. Also, this is in fact, you want. Also in standard right now, there are things like Spirited Companion, Restoration of Igonjo, yep. uh, Wedding yep. Announcement, like all good these things that, that are good cards that just happen to be enchantments that you could potentially rebuy with this thing. Uh, cost reduction is powerful. I wouldn't necessarily bank on my opponent drawing a lot of cards on their turn, but even if it's just your stuff costs one less and all your stuff has flash, I mean, that's pretty good incentive to jump through all these hoops, which I think the first one is like reading and comprehending the card. Yeah. To get to that point, though, you're talking seven mana. That's that's a lot of mana. Even if it's invested over the course of two turns, it's still very, very big investment. And that's plus two life. Otherwise, it's eight mana. I don't know that you actually get what you put into this card. I think that comes into play trigger really has to carry the vast majority of weight for this card. And it can. It absolutely can. Uh, that's that's a very context-dependent question, though. So not a card that I think is like a slam dunk, but one that, if the pieces around it are good, could absolutely see play. Well, here's the thing. is like when, when we talk about stuff like this, it's like, oh, it's a seven-man investment. I mean, it is it is spread out over two turns. The front side of it is pretty reasonable on its face. And this is one of the unique instances where it does pay you back in that manner. It does. You know what it I does. mean? It, it, it'll probably take a turn or two for you to recoup, you know, three mana and then seven mana or whatever. But like, it will pay you uh, as long as you are assuming that you're playing a long enough game. And of yeah, course- and, and if it survives, it has no form of protection, right? And like for a card to have no form of protection, needs to have basically immediate impact. This card does, so it passes that test. I think that's totally acceptable. Yeah, yeah. But like counting on getting the value from the backside of it, I think that's asking a lot, especially considering things like the sorcery speed restriction. You just have to kind of forecast this very clearly. And there's a lot of ways for your opponents to actually gain mana when you go to try and get your mana gain back by responding to your transformation with their removal spells. So uh, big risk on this card for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of true. Like, the, the backside is six toughness, which we've kind of seen play out in the standard format as actually just a meaningful way of built-in protection with uh -huh. Shieldred sitting at five and it living way more than you would expect it to. Uh, there's there's just, like, not that much instant speed removal, and because of things like winning announcement, you can't afford to just load your deck up with a ton of spot removal and have that be your game plan, so. That is true. You're you're right that the backside is just naked four six, but four six by itself is already not that bad. And kind of like you mentioned, if if you did get to transform this thing, uh, it is probably because they didn't have a way to kill your four four to begin with. So the four six is good in that case, right? So I would envision this as like you you play it just as a piece of your deck where the front side is good enough already, and then. If you have extra mana lying around or whatever, you know, you don't have anything better to do with your turn, or if you call your opponent tapped out or something, then you can transform this if you want to and start milking it. But yeah, uh, not going to come up in a ton of games, but interesting enough to talk about. Agreed. Cool. Uh, Fairy Mastermind, Yuta Takahashi's World Championship card, 1U, 2-1. Creature, Fairy Rogue, Flash Flying, whenever an opponent draws their second card each turn, you draw a card. And 3U, each player draws a card. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this this isn't like 
invitational cards like these players who are captured on these cards they're not putting input into these cards they're just like given some options and then they go yes that's what i want to be my world champion card does that sound correct to you well this is the third one right we had uh javier and then paulo and then yuza yes if i'm remembering correctly and i believe for the first two at least they both basically said that they were given options of like two or three cards and it's like which which sort of like starting point do you like more and what sort of input do you have uh so yuta did not offer up much up along those lines he did say he wanted the card to be a one three so they could block like thalia and regavan but they said it was too strong okay uh but I don't know, like it it being like a fairy in this set, it it seems like either they knew that's where he wanted to start, or he told them that's where he wanted them to start. You know, because uh-huh. I don't know, fairy does seem slightly out of place, and also this suite of abilities seems kind of out of place. It's just like he had to have a decent amount of input, or they had to have had built the card for him specifically so yeah well i i asked the question because the thing that stood out to me especially like in contrast with heliod which is a card i hated is how much i love this card and like how it does so much with so little like very basic text but combines into this cool package that does very very impactful things because of how its ability combines and doesn't make my head hurt has cool typing this is um, elegant, flavorful. Man. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great card. And I like just again, outside of how much impact is going to have, it's one that I am excited to play, to try and maximize, to see in play, to see how it influences games. Like really, really exciting stuff. And the exact opposite impression of what I got from Heliod is my impression of Fairy Mastermind. Just awesome work. Yeah. No, it's it is great. And I like the fact that. Uh, Yuta is a big fan of Legacy and Vintage, plays all the time, and yep. certainly enjoys his blue decks, right? Uh, and has a card that is likely going to see more play there than in other formats, you know? And then also the, the card is, like, templated and formatted, so it's reasonable in Commander, too. So, like, it's just a slam dunk, dude. Yeah, incredible card. And you know he's hoping it revives his beloved fairies archetype in Modern, although he hasn't really cared whether that archetype is actually viable before playing it. Um, but That's true. That's definitely d- true. <laughs> does his best to make it so, and, and maybe this is just that little boost you need to go ahead and make sure he's a real modern deck again. Maybe. Uh, next up, we have Moment of Truth. One U instance. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand, one in the graveyard, and one on the bottom of your library. Uh, Anticipate was pretty hyped when it came out. Like, I don't know if people remember that, but... Uh, I don't remember that. I I do remember occasionally begrudgingly and like with always, always caveats and explanations playing Anticipate in my deck and just being like, look, I know this card is awful, but here's why I have to do it. Yeah, I mean, it showed up in some spots where you absolutely needed it, but for some reason, there was this widespread acceptance of, of things like you know, brainstorm and ponder, and then people started looking back maybe a little bit more favorably than was deserved on things like Impulse. Uh-huh. So then Wizards comes out with Anticipate, which is the quote-unquote fixed Impulse, and it's just like, oh, well, we can't make actual Impulse because it'd be, like, too good or whatever. 
Nope. And so when when it's speak up preview, there were just people who were all over it. And I was like, I I guess I'm supposed to put this into my decks because like everyone else is putting it into their decks, but like I don't think that it's very good, right? And it it did show up in a lot of places for a while until people just like slowly cut them from all their decks and we're just like, let's not talk about this anymore, you know. Just pretend that we never liked this card. So uh then actual impulse comes out. Uh, very little fanfare. And yep. there's a proliferate staple on to an anticipate in the last set. Very little fanfare. Uh this is a step in the right direction, I think. Like the graveyard taking advantage of that is one of the most powerful things you can be doing. I still think this is really bad. I agree with you. Getting three cards deep though and getting to put one like you're sorting this out, right? Like you get to choose the one headed to your graveyard. I could see a lot of scenarios where that is pretty powerful. Like it's specific decks, specific construction, specific niche, but there are probably way more standard formats in which I would have played Moment of Truth than standard formats in which I would have played Impulse, I think, which is like yeah. a little weird to say, but I, I'm pretty sure I feel that way. Listen, I've played strategic planning in Phoenix yeah, a non-zero amount of the time, but that was normally in the case of things like historic, where the card pool is all wonky. You know? So it's yeah. ideally, it's not a card that makes your deck. No, you don't want to play this card, but I do think there are certain just textures of the format where you can get away with playing Moment of Truth, and it will be an important card in your deck. Uh, don't see anything in this format right now that points me in that direction, but you know, nice, nice option to have. It is a good option to have, and if they want to, you know, further explore this this sort of space, this is a good again a step in the right direction. It's just I, I don't think it's quite there. Just it, two mana for a cantrip is it's, it's just hard to massive. swallow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, just raw Jin Gataxias. No. No fanfare, no fancy title, just Jin Gataxius. Uh three U five five legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, Ward two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. Three U, exile this, then return Wait, it to why the doesn't, Why doesn't this use Phyrexian mana? Cause they're they're like the You have no answer for me. They're they're like no. the the lords of the Phyrexia, right? Like they don't uh, keep going, sorry. They are one with the Phyrexia. I guess so. It's just think of it this way. It could be like three UU Phi or three UUP, right? But they are so good at being Phyrexian that they just don't even have to pay that cost. Okay. Sure. All right. I have no idea if that's true or not. Three U, exile this, then return to the battlefield, transformed under its owner's control, activate only as a sorcery, and only if you have seven or more cards in hand. Backside, the Great Synthesis, a saga, chapter one. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There's a lot of text. Uh, draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand. You have no maximum hand size for as long as you control the Great Synthesis, chapter so two. So right you are right to 14 then, right? Oh, yeah. So it's it's powerful, right? Yeah. Chapter two, return all non-Phyrexian creatures to their owner's hands. Well, everything's Phyrexian now, so I don't understand. Uh, chapter three, you may cast any number of spells from your hand without paying their mana costs. Exile this, then return it to the battlefield front face up. 
Uh, I feel like after after chapter three goes off, you you probably don't really care what happens to you know Jin no. anymore. But whatever, the game is probably over. Oh, I guess you then get to draw a bunch of cards too from the front side of Jin at that point. Oh, right. Well, okay, so you cast you cast the cards. Yeah, and they would all so they go on the they're, stack. They're on the stack. Then you exile this. And returns then to the this battlefield. Card comes back is my guess because that would be the last thing to go on the stack. So it would be the first to resolve. Yeah, but you're not getting the the gin triggers from this because you've already put because they're cast the triggers. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 So it would be if it was when a spell resolves, then you would get the trigger, but not as a cast trigger. Okay. Yeah. It's it's cast ten spells for free. Uh, Not cast 10 spells for free and draw 10 cards. I'm sorry. Right. That's a shame. That's so. A shame. Well, it would have been playable before, but now. Yeah. Uh, this is clearly very powerful. Uh, Seems really dumb. This is a really dumb card. Anytime something has been like, oh, all you need is like seven or more cards in hand. It's just, it's too much. Yes. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing this. Uh, this is up but, to and including Library of Alexandria. That card okay. sucks. That card but, sucks. I that's not true, but I understand what you're saying. It sucks. And here's the problem with this, though. Like, isn't there just a lot of scenarios where, like, doing this and nothing else over the course of the game might just win you the game? Like, this is the only actual card you play throughout the entire game. How many decks do you beat with that? I mean, some, some number. Yeah, you, you kind of got to do something on turn six, right? right? I'll play. I'll play explore. How about that? I, I, oh, I have my my number one card in. Uh, oh, in the Brothers joint, War. joint. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll play that card, and then I'll play this on turn four. On turn five, I'm going to exile it. And I'm going to draw seven more cards. And then next turn, all your stuff is going back to your hand. And then the turn after that, I win. You have to be on the draw, though. Right? Uh, yes. But I can get around that. I can play a draw, too, if I have to. Listen, listen man. Standard is real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but it is real fast. I guess I'm just like, I'm not even talking about the reality of it. Like it actually being the strategy you're going to use. I just don't like a card that is like so all consuming of its influence over the game where like you, you have to at least stop and think about a game where I only played this card. Do I have a chance of winning it? It's it's not just a no. I mean, that's fair, but you're requiring your opponent to not be able to beat Ward 2 and uh -huh. not kill you, which seems weird. Well, you get a 5-5 five, five blocker. We'll be good. No, that's, Block that's on that fair. key turn. Yeah. Uh, the the Ward 2 thing is, like, a, a little safer. Like, we've seen a lot of, like, Ward 3, higher wards lately. Ward 2, it does feel like, if you were playing on curve, this should actually be pretty vulnerable to things like your typical two-mana removal spells. Although, if we're going to, like, use the uh, Shieldred defense... We, we have to use it with this card as well. No, of course. Just... I, I don't think that this card is in that much danger of dying. I think that you are if you're planning on not doing anything else. Sure. Sure. 
But whenever you cast a non-creature spell with mana value three or greater, draw a card. That's not that bad for yeah, a, a mid-rangey tap-out threat line of text, you know? Yep. So we're just like speeding a little bit to this. We're, we're ramping with cards in our hand, and then we have some kind of defensive options that we're doing that buy us time. And then this it's in itself is a defensive option. And is this translating to our deck full of seven drops and eight drops that we talked about as this theoretical deck that could exist for so, so long. So we'll, we'll move past the idea of what does only this card do and go to this card in conjunction with like other cards that are very much focused on the same type of play style. This does seem very, very powerful to me. Yeah, uh, it doesn't seem bad, but not so much for setting up the saga part of it, which is kind of disappointing because the saga part is badass, but it's just, it's so hard to pull off. Yeah, I, I just get something about it is setting off alarm bells where I, th I think it's going to happen more than you think it will just because of that first ability. Like it combines so well where if, if you keep a gin in play for like two turns, which is a lot, granted, like, but it is only a five drop. And if you accelerate to it on four, so you go into turn six with gin in play, it feels like on your turn seven, you should be able to flip. And that, at that point, that's not all your mana you've used in that spot, right? You've only spent four. So you have your 14 cards in hand with three mana available to kind of buy you a little bit more time. And then you get a reset after that, assuming you're not facing Phyrexians, which as you mentioned, could be dubious. <laughs> Uh, and and Dude, then Heliod, I think you just win the game. Heliod's a Phyrexian now. Like, there's a lot of Phyrexians. Uh, that's that's a very very fair knock against this. Card. Oh, I guess I guess the front side is not. The back side is. Okay, so you get but him before he transforms. It, so in order to get up to seven cards, like say you have four cards in hand, you need to be casting like divinations off this thing. You can't just be like casting fables and whatnot. Because I understand. I understand. I I, I think that's neutral. like. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Or there's other sources of card advantage that are not just like cards in hand. There's creatures that draw cards. There's things like that where you just play a game that you want to play anyway, and you are returning something to your hand or however you're going to go about it. There's plenty of ways to make sure you cross this threshold. Well, this is non-creature, but yes. Fair enough. Fair enough. I see what you're but saying. Even, even I, still, like, yeah, I, like, I know, I know, I know. If, if it's just a creature that has some card draw ability that can go ahead and make up for a lot of this card down you're going to be playing. Yeah. It, as just a frontside threat, I don't think that this is that bad. I don't want to work super hard to play divinations unless it's like that one mana poison divination. That card's uh -huh. nice. But uh -huh. yeah. Uh, I, I can't help but think of the, the dragon, the bad mono blue Ojutai. I think it starts with an yeah, I. Uh, yeah. That card saw play, though. Like, no, not it widespread did. play. It was, it did. It was it, fine. It was serviceable. Uh, this seems like a weirder, but potentially more uh, format-applicable version of that card, I suppose. Hmm. Okay, yeah. All right, next up, Breach the Multiverse. 5BB Sorcery. Each player mills 10 cards. For each player, choose a creature or planeswalker card in that player's graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Then each creature you control becomes a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. Well, we're screwed. Jinkataxis no longer able to do anything. Breach the Multiverse <laughs> has countered us. Yeah. Um, uh, this is for... 7 mana Sorcery. You reanimate two things. Granted, you do mill, so you're setting it up, feeding it a little bit. This is more in line with what I expect from these sort of effects. Just 
Command the Dreadhorde was such an outlier, right? It really was, yeah. Huge amount of payoff on that card. That card was obscene. And, I, yeah, I, I don't know. This, this card feels not very good to me. I agree. I agree. Okay. Uh, I, I guess it is it is better when there are four players in your game. Sure. Like many cards in Magic these days. Yeah. Uh, Chandra, Hope Speaking, 4RR. Five starting loyalty, legendary planeswalker Chandra. Static ability of whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. This ability triggers only once each turn. Plus two, add two mana in any combination of colors. Plus one, exile the top five cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell from among those exiled cards. And minus X, this deals X damage to each of up to two targets. I really, really like a big Chandra. I've I've dabbled in almost all of these cards, with maybe the exception of like Chandra Blaze, which let's not talk about that card. The the coveted big red deck. Yeah, the the eternal hope of a big red deck. The allure is always there. Um, this one doesn't excite me as much as some of the other ones. What was the last Chandra we had that had a sweeper attached to it? That was really quite good. I played it a lot in ramp. I know. Uh, I mean. I played the hell out of Chandra Flamecaller. That one was good. There was, I believe that's the one I'm talking about. There is a different one that was like minus three, deal three to uh, non-elementals, and then that was the uncounterable that gives them an emblem one, or am I mixing up my Chandras? You might be mixing them up, uh, but I, I think the one you're talking about that just minus to do damage uh, and then plus to like discard your hand and get three cards maybe was the plus side of that one. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to look up Chandra Flamecaller. All right, go for it. Too many Chandras. Uh, so six mana. Uh, plus one is make the two, three ones with haste. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zero, discard your hand, draw that, that many cards, plus one. Okay, that's what I was talking about. So yeah, I wasn't it, close. And then, yeah, that's what I thought. So minus X deals X damage. Um, yes. And I think it's four starting loyalty. But... This was the one that I got to play in, like, Jeskai Black and stuff. This one was awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, what's what's the uncounterable Chandra? That one gave, like, emblems, right? Like, damage emblems? Yeah. Awakened Inferno. Uh, yeah. Six mana, six loyalty, can't be countered, plus two, they get an emblem. Minus three, deals three to each non-elemental, and then yep. minus X, deals X to a creature or planeswalker or exile it. Cool. Played a little bit of that one, too, but uh, like the other one better. This one, I I think it's worse than all of those. I think. That's just my first quick read. I uh, Go ahead. I think it's worse in that it's not a, a Wrath of God draw engine. That's also uh -huh. like maybe a threat that kills your opponent or whatever, you know? But I don't know. The, the living fork on your Chandra with a massive amount of loyalty five going up to seven you get to chandra into plus two play another spell and then copy that spell like uh -huh. that's pretty obscene right you're like chandra plus two obliterating bolt your two creatures i have a seven it's mana nice. thing that just yeah. works everything you could like plus one next turn find uh whatever the hell you want i guess the, the problem sort of is that red stuff is kind of limited 
Uh, ideally, you're playing this in like Rakdos or is it or Brixis or something, right? So you can dude, like big, maybe find big a score. find Just a card throw that draw. Big score down. Yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah, big score in Chandra, and then, and then you got a big red drop. deck going, baby. Yeah, dude, we're doing it. Maybe I get won't some... respond to that. Well, Siri did not like that. <laughs> Series is like big red. I refuse. <laughs> Absolutely not, Brian. We've talked about this. Sorry. Uh, Sorry, Sherry. I I like the Chandra for reasons that have nothing to do with the other Chandras. Okay. Uh, yeah. Talk, talking more about it, talking into it a little bit. I, I think like Big Score has a lot to do with that. Honestly, that's just such a tailor-made card to combine with this Planeswalker. I wasn't even um, there yet. That's great. Yeah, I, th I think that's pretty good. And, dude, and you get to copy your big score with it's this. Great. That's yeah, it's great. That's busted. Yeah. That's absolutely busted. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, even this, like, minus X, potentially killing two things, like, that's hell of a six drop, too. This is this is going to make me build a big red deck. It really is, because we have these prototype creatures, which are just, like, awesome at scaling throughout the game. You can actually have a home for 9, 10, 11 mana and build up to these massive endgames. You you have really good removal here with Chandra. You have good card selection with Big Score. I don't know, man. Those those pieces all sound pretty good to me. I've I've been kind of down on the random six mana planeswalkers. This is the first one in a while where I'm like, no, this actually looks pretty good. I'm talking myself into it. The more the more I look at it, the more I'm sort of coming around. All right, on to the team up cycle. You ready for this? I am. So ready. I couldn't have, be more ready. Have you read these cards? Uh, some of them I have read in their entirety. Other ones my eyes glazed over and I did not finish, but I, I'm vaguely familiar with most of them at this point. All right, so I don't know how many of these are going to be. I don't know. Feels the, like a lot. The entire cast of characters. Uh, they are split between March of the Machine and the Commander products, so I, I saw a couple that were were not standard legal, but I, I hope that there is just a lot of them because they're hilarious to me. They just do ridiculous things, I guess. Uh. So, like, Katilda and Lear, Goro Goro and Satoru, and Slimefoot and Squee are the non-standard legal ones. Disrespectful to Squee. But... I know, really? Like, come on. Uh, I, although, I will say, I, I read that one and was like, how the hell? Like, there is no support for this in standard. Well, now it makes sense. Anyway, uh, first one is Galta and Maverin. Uh, <laughs> Maverin was the Vampire Lord, and yep. Galta was the 12-12. But 3GG, dub-dub, 12-12, legendary creature, dinosaur vampire, so you can put this into play with Soren. Uh, trample, whenever you attack, choose one, create a tapped and attacking XX green dinosaur creature token with Trample, where X is the greatest power among other attacking creatures or create X-1-1 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is the number of other attacking creatures. And worth noting that this is just, whenever you text, you can play this, go to combat, and get an immediate trigger from Not bad. Uh, the Soren combination was not one that immediately leaped out to me. It's, it's very silly, but very powerful, I think, and maybe worth considering, which sounds pretty dumb, because it's just like, Silly twelve twelve. I I think these are supposed to be more like exciting than format defining, like more fun than the things you're really supposed to be doing. But man, that twelve twelve on turn three sounds like a pretty good deal. I got to be honest with you. I generally like 
my Soren targets to be slightly castable, you know? Champion of Dust. Champion of Dust yeah. kind of things, or uh Edgar Markov was okay. Or not Edgar Markov, whatever. There's there's the, the commander one and then the one that like turned into the coffin. That's Edgar, isn't it? Maybe, but it's like the different name, you know. Oh, okay. Uh so whatever. Like those kind of cards. At least you can cast them if you don't draw Soren. You have a bunch of removal spells. Your cards are trading off. You know, the game goes kind of long. And there are also the scenarios where you're sorting out something on basically an empty battlefield because of the aforementioned trading, where at least Champion of Dusk cantrips and, you know, doesn't just bite it to a removal spell or whatever. So uh, Very true. I'm not super excited about... Galta and Maverin in Soren decks, but just playing this as the top end in your green deck doesn't seem that wild to me, but uh, maybe there's there's a lot of good seven drops, which we have talked about at length. And that's definitely I like I do like the immediate impact of this one that is appealing. Yeah, um, if this thing had to attack, I'd I'd be completely off it. But the fact yep. that you do get immediate value potentially is is pretty nice. Yeah, maybe something like a, a Tyvar type situation where it's just you have a bunch of small bodies hanging around, you accelerate to this really nicely, and then uh, this is your top end, and you get some value out of those small dorks you have sitting around and turn them into something more fearsome. Yep. Next up, Drana and Linvala. One dub dub B, three four, legendary creature vampire angel, flying vigilance. Activated abilities of creatures your opponent's control can't be activated. This has all activated abilities of all creatures your opponent's control. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate those abilities. Huh. I I think this could skip that second line of text and probably be acceptable in some scenarios. Like a, a fine sideboard card against very specific decks. As obviously we saw with original Linvala, one of the most important sideboard cards in the modern format for a very long yeah. period of time, going back to like the birthing pod era. So, um, and, and same cost, by the way, just if, except it was uh, two colorless, two white. So in terms of overall cost, exactly the same. This just being an upgrade, should you have access to both these colors of mana. And then this whole other second clause tacked onto it. This card's probably good enough, especially in those scenarios. Like, Obviously, this isn't what the modern metagame looks like now, but imagine if it was just like, I don't know, Yawgmoth mirrors all over the place, and this was a card you could go and get via your wide tutoring suite, uh, you know, Eldritch in Evolution into Adrana and Limbala and just steal the game in that scenario. I think there's a lot of spots where this will be a one-of in decks that do have these packages, this ability to search for silver bullets and find the right thing, because this is a hugely impactful ability and now it's got upside over where it was even before there's also just reflection of kiki jikis running around and stuff like yeah. that yeah there's there's a reasonable target even if it's like just a a soft inclusion in your black white deck it does feel like it's going to it's going to throw some bullets and catch some stray targets while putting forth a good three four vigilance body so yeah, it doesn't seem like we've had the necessity for this effect, but certainly when you want it, it's just the best possible thing you could have uh -huh. in a lot of scenarios. And then I'm sure, yeah, there are plenty of ways to take advantage of the second part of things. It's just 
we never really had that ability to do that. It's it's like hard to actually wrap my head around the things that you could possibly do with it. It's interesting. And I, I can't wait until you find some bizarre combination of abilities that just like unlocks. That was always one of my favorite parts of playing Birthing Bot is sometimes your cards would just combine in very odd ways, uh, especially when it came to Phyrexian Metamorph and you'd copy an opponent's card yeah. and find like infinite loops off your opponent's Stranglerood Geist or something. And uh, I feel like this card's going to do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, this will be a quick one. Yargle and Multani. Three BBG legendary creature, Frog Spirit Elemental, 18-6. Okay. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about that. This is what they refer to internally as box checking. Eric Lauer <laughs> just has a spreadsheet of power and toughnesses that exist in magic and also ones that do not. This is box checking. He's just checking off the 18-6 box. Isn't there a possibility this card is like good enough? Uh the six mana for an 18 power. I mean, you can you could fling this. You could do all sorts of stuff, but Yeah. Here's the problem I have with this card. If it's good enough, it's terrible. It's so, so bad if like this is actually a good enough card to be impactful because it just like well, wins a game on the spot and is dumb and boring and not exciting. It's funny the first time it happens, but if it was good enough, it would be very stupid. All right, I got it. You ready? Hit me. I'm ready. Fight rigging. What's the ability on that again? You didn't play enough limited, man. Uh, 2G enchantment, beginning of combat, put a plus one, plus one counter on a thing. Then if one of your things has seven or more power, you do the hideaway card. Right. So this this checks both boxes. Uh, for a while, the standard versions were struggling a little bit for whether or not they had good things to like curve into it. Because uh, it was like shakedown heavy, and then it was like, oh crap, we have to play like some five mana nonsense or whatever. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. this is not perfect in that it costs six, but ideally you want your things that activate fight rigging to also be things that are reasonable to cast off of it. So this is right. this is big, and then if that deck wants to do any sort of like fling type of stuff, or I don't know if there are other things you can do that like scales off power. Um, but you know, this, this is big and could go in that sort of thing. But I, I don't think that we're ever in danger of this being like good, good just because it, it costs six. Yeah, I know. I, I know that's probably true. I guess the problem is that I don't share the wizard sense of humor. I don't find this card like all that funny or charming. And I know people, there's other people who do, um, if if you do find it funny and charming, there's a good reason for it to exist. For me, it's just like, well, this card doesn't do anything. And if the bad joke isn't landing and the card has like some risk potential, then just don't make it. But I think the bad joke probably lands with a lot of people and invalidates my take on this. Well, Brian, like everything else in Magic, this card is not for you. Right, correct. Thalia and the Gitrog Monster. One. I really like frogs, by the way. Have I ever said that on the podcast before? Just, I'm a huge, I mean, huge frog you've, fan. You've talked about cultivating your pond and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of took that away from all of that. But okay. no, you have not explicitly stated it. 
No, love frogs. I want to put that on the record right now. Frog of Tide. Uh, Thalia and the Gitrog Monster. One dub BG, 4-4. Four, four. Legendary creature, human, frog horror. First strike, death touch. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Creatures and non-basic lands your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Whenever this attacks, sacrifice a creature or land, then draw a card. This card's probably good-ish. Like, I, I think it's good enough to see play. I like it. Like, that ability when we had the OG Thalia with that clause on it, it did prove to be quite good. Body here's basically that, unfuckwithable. Like, 4-4 four, four first strike <laughs> death touch is just completely messed up. You're not winning combat against this thing. And that extra ability, the, the sack your garbage lands floating around, draw, turn them into real cards, or just, like, you know, fodder creatures, whatever you have floating... This card's just going to get in there repeatedly. It's going to be impossible to block. It's going to generate advantage. It's going to upgrade your materials into more useful things. Like, this actually has me very excited to play some mid-rangey type strategies where these cards usually don't get me feeling that way anymore. It's sort of reminiscent of Soul of Windgrace in that yeah, regard. Yeah, Where just like this cumulative advantage that I think is good enough to actually matter. And Soul of Windgrace did matter for a brief period of time. It was ultimately outmoded, I think. But it's, it's still playable, actually. Tyvar kind of gives it new life. Nice, nice. That's good to hear. I, I think Thalia is very much in the same range where it's it's just good enough. Like these combinations of abilities, very, very nice. Uh this this was not the OG Thalia, though. Correct. This was the three mana Thalia. Yeah. Uh that is it for the team ups with one card, and then a card from Aftermath. Uh, last card is Omnath, Locus of All, Dub U R G P, where P is black mana. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it is one of every color, but the black is also a P. Does that make sense? No, keep going. Okay, cool. Uh, the black mana symbol is also larger than the other ones. Yeah, I don't like that. But aesthetically, it's in the middle, so it looks kind of cool. 4-4, uh, four, four, legendary creature, Phyrexian Elemental. If you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes black instead. Weird-ass line of text. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card if it has three or more colored mana symbols in its mana cost. If you do... Add three mana in any combination of its colors and put it into your hand. If you don't reveal it... Wait, what? If you don't reveal it, put it in your hand? Okay, so you draw the card no matter so what. You look at it, then you decide whether or not to reveal it. That goes to your hand. It's just weird to be like, put it in your hand. If you don't reveal it, put it in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. That is weird. Uh, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. So yeah, I guess if you're hitting like all Savage Knuckle Blades... Uh, just get to cast those things for free. Cool. Well, it could also be all Phyrexian Obliterators, right? They don't have to be different colored mana symbols. Oh. Three or more colored mana symbols. Okay. Right? Yeah. No, I was I was thinking of, like, different colored mana symbols. You're right. So you play this with your Night Veil Spectres and, uh... What's the 4-4 four, four that can't block from Shadowmoor? Hybrid, red, black. 
I don't know. This I mean, is a, this is a long way to go to make a bad joke. So yeah, I'm just gonna get uh, Ashen Moore Gouger. That's it. Yeah, thank you. Took me a minute. Yeah, you could just think of think of all the things that you could do. So many things. I don't have an immediate purpose for this, but it does seem like a cool puzzle, cool builder and puzzle to look at. And at the very least, you know, it's a four mana creature for a four four that can draw you a card a bunch of the time and let you stockpile black mana across turns. Starting on the next turn, though. Starting on the next turn, yeah. So, not great. I don't, I'm not in love with this, but as far as, uh, you know, five-color commanders or whatever, this is among one of the better ones, but that's about all I see it as. Well, we know you're always very interested in what five-color commanders are out there, so I'm glad this is available for you. I'm, I'm just saying, there were great ones before people played Sliver Queen. Yeah. That was now great. That, was, that was a million years ago. They don't have to do that anymore. But There's probably like 300 of them now, honestly. Yes. This one, this one is reasonable. This one is like close to being competitive, constructed, playable. It's almost really the best one that they have, right? I don't know. I can't possibly answer that question because anything could have happened in like the 20 magic sets that I paid no attention to. So That's true. O over the last like three years, I probably don't know 20% of the magic cards that were, that were released. And maybe that's low. Maybe it's higher. Yeah, I, I think it might be higher, honestly. Anyway, that is it for the main set. And then for Aftermath, we have the Kenrith's Royal Funeral 2-dub-B Legendary Enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, exile up to two target legendary creatures from your graveyard. You draw X cards and lose X life, where X is the greatest mana value among cards exiled this way. Legendary spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card exiled with this. Huh. I don't I don't know what to do with this. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. It seems fine to me. So I've been playing some <laughs> legendary matters nonsense sure. in standard. It's a very real deck in standard. And I'm like actually kind of scared about the like draw X, lose X. Like if your opponent's not pressuring you, great. Or if you just had unchecked shieldred for four turns or something, great. Yeah. But it's just like draw four, lose four is like actually kind of scary, you know? Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe you just like exile some two drops or whatever, and then yeah, can can you reliably get through get get this to pop off for three basically, and then get two cost reduction for the rest of the game? Yeah, and I think so, but the problem is that powerful. Yeah, the problem kind of the problem kind of with with that is that a lot of the stuff, uh, just has a lot of colored pips, and yeah. you do have a bunch of four mana sort of like legendary things or like you go up to five for ow and stuff but uh the cost production maybe isn't the biggest help from this card but if you're looking for a thing that allows you to just regas up in grindy matchups or whatever i mean this is really good at doing that yeah if you have time it does seem like a very powerful sideboard card like theoretical draw vibes you know plus upside that's that's a really good spot to be if you're just playing sort of, I guess, grindy, mid-rangey mirrors where life totals are not immediately under pressure. Yeah, the problem is is that they're all kind of incidentally under pressure because even the control decks are like Fable, Shieldred type of stuff where they can just get you. They can just put you under a bunch of pressure. Uh -huh. um, they're not necessarily trying to do that. It's just they're the way that they get uh, an advantage 
is with these cards that will just deal you a bunch of damage very quickly if you let them, so... Hopefully it does not come to that, but this is potentially okay, and if this is the sort of, like, weird niche thing that you can expect in the in-between set, I think that that is cool. Yeah. Sure. I, I think that's a good evaluation of this card. I, I have no strong feelings towards it. Uh, you know, maybe it's designed to give an archetype that they saw as kind of tier two-ish, just that little bump where it can push up to 1.5. Um, I know in, in my own design machinations, I often want something to be like sort of a shorter period of effectiveness. And this is maybe a cool way to do that. Now also think about just aftermath in general, right? Like what would it take to get people to buy that product? Like clearly you can't put a bunch of grizzly bears I, in it or whatever, I'm right? I'm the wrong person to ask that. I, I assume it has to be 50 exciting cards. Right. But they ha they I, have to be desirable by someone. There can't really be any misses. Yep. I'm going to be honest with you though, Gerald. I don't buy any magic products anymore. So I don't know... Like, I, I can't answer what specifically about this would make me buy anything when I don't see it fit to buy any of these things. Yeah, but two years ago, you foiled your amulet deck, so, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, but that's, that's like, sort of the point, right? Like, I am generally willing to buy these things, but they aren't giving me the reason to buy them right now. And so I, I can't answer that question. I don't know what is motivating people to buy these things because the things that used to motivate me are absent. Yeah, I wasn't asking for you specifically. I mean, ideally, you would be able to uh, remove yourself from the equation. Nah, I only and... think about myself, Gerald. Uh, you know that. Uh, I'm not very focused on how everything applies to me. No, I just, I honestly don't know the answer. I don't. Just from a sheer logical perspective, it can't be a boring set, right? Agreed. It has, it has to be big, flashy, high-impact stuff. And maybe it is a way to do, like, more commander stuff tied to the base set. Not that they aren't already doing that, but when the first thing they show is a legendary enchantment that like years off of other legendary spells, there is some pointing towards, oh, these are cards that are supposed to hit the commander set a little bit harder uh, while still being pointed to the main themes of the existing set. I agree with that, but this is also one of 50 or whatever that's in the set too. So, you know, obviously if they're all... Also, there is a full commander set attached to the set as well, so... Really? The, yeah, the the mom commander thing. Oh, no, okay. I thought you meant attached to Aftermath. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I was like, God, again? <laughs> Second one? No, I don't think so. Oh, man. I mean, there might be, honestly, but I don't I don't immediately think so. Okay. Uh, And then the set has, like, Ragavans in it and stuff, too, right? Yeah. Uh, March of the Machine does, at least. Right? Good selling point. So yeah, I don't know. These cards are cool. Uh, they're not, maybe not immediately hitting me like a lot of the Phyrexia cards were, but uh, this is also the the kind of like pre-preview season. And I absolutely. do I do like the team-ups. I do like... Do you uh, have a favorite card that we talked about today? Um, Easy Heliod. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I think I like Thalia and Gitrog. I think that... The team-up thing is kind of silly to me. 
uh, much in the same way that you just don't really like the Yargle Multani joke in general. Like I, I kind of have a disdain for the team up stuff, period. But it lets right. you get so much weird text on the card that I do enjoy that aspect. That's cool. Cool to find something you appreciate for it. Yeah, on the whole, I think like, uh, you know, two of these team ups I find quite exciting. The Drana and Linvala and the Thalia and the Gitrug Monster, both pretty big hits for me. As far as my favorite card from the set, at the start, I would have just said Fairy Mastermind just because it is so clean, so cool, uh, very simple. But man, the card I now, after discussing it with you, want to build a deck around is unfortunately Chandra. So yeah, Chandra's I, my number two. I guess I'm doomed to just play Big Red again. So Chandra's my number two, but it's it's like traditional magic. It is. You yeah, know? I, it's like, I uh, guess that makes sense, right? That's the thing we're like pining for and pulling out of these sets as the things we're excited about. Yeah, but Thalia and Gitrog is Abzan making extra land drops, sacking some stuff maybe for value, drawing some cards. Well, that's my number three, so I'm, I'm yeah. not super surprised there. You know, so that's that's kind of the stuff that I want to do where Chandra's just like, ah, you do like kill some stuff and draw some cards. And honestly, she kind of makes it too easy, just like forking all your stuff. And so I'm not that hyped about it, but Thalia and Gitrog, that's what's up. Okay, good answer. And then, I mean, Drana, Drana Linval is good, but it's like I'm not that excited about what is likely just going to be like a one-of side yeah, yeah, kind of thing. That's fair. You know? that's fair. And yeah, the rest of the stuff is is pretty weird. It's like you got to put in a little bit of everything to highlight what is potentially coming in the set, and you don't really get like the clear picture or whatever, so... Yep. This is weird. This is hard to make like a final evaluation. It'll, it'll probably be like the second day of actual previews where I'll be like, oh, I like this or don't like this. Sure. But unquestionably though, everyone hates Heliod. Like that is that is not debatable. <laughs> and we all agree on that. I uh, for for like standard folks, I would hope that that's the case, but it's the case. Given all your stuff flash for the commander crowd, they really like that. I've already declared it. We can't go back on it now. All right, fair enough. Heliod, Heliod sucks. Uh, let's pretend like that card doesn't exist. It's not on the set. As far as we're concerned, it isn't in the commander set. And that's it. Game. Game. Good luck.